This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. John. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the portico of Solomon. So the Judeans gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. So I was amused to read recently that Great Britain has created a new office within Her Majesty's government entitled the Ministry of Loneliness. Recognizing the obvious, that loneliness is one of the most vexing and debilitating challenges of the human condition, our good friends across the Atlantic decided that the best way to respond to this existential crisis is to have the government deal with it. As Stephen Colbert wryly observed on his show shortly after the announcement, this is so British. They've identified the most intractable and mysterious of human problems and come up with the coldest and most bureaucratic of solutions. This British response may be laughable in its clumsiness, but the underlying problem of human loneliness is a profound one. People are lonely, and increasingly so. Within the last several months, there have been thoughtful articles in the New York Times, the Atlantic, and the Harvard Business Review, among others, noting the many dimensions of the problem and its impact on health and human flourishing. What a perverse irony this is. While we are, on the one hand, the most connected generation in history, digitally speaking, on the other hand, we are ever more isolated. The problem, of course, is that connectivity is not relationship. Digital access may afford us a kind of proximity to others, but as city dwellers know all too well, proximity does not necessarily mean real relationship. Loneliness can be the most acute in a crowd. It is rather intimacy the human heart craves, not mere proximity. And while our smartphone apps promise endless access to others, true intimacy requires something we seem to have lost, 
the capacity to be in each other's company, face to face, within reach of one another, patiently attending to each other's thoughts, needs, desires, hopes, pains, and listening to one another. Being in each other's presence, of course, also means risking vulnerability, putting our full selves forward, warts and all, failures as well as successes, fears as well as aspirations. It is not enough just to construct an Instagram story of our happiest self. Breaking out of loneliness and making real relationships requires honesty. It means sharing the darkness, too. The pain that lurks just beneath the surface, the insecurity in the pit of our stomachs, our anxiety about aging, being sick, about dying, our grief at losing those we love. It is in sharing these deeper pieces of ourselves that we find authentic community. So let me get then to my very modest proposal for combating loneliness as we emerge slowly from this pandemic. Let's try to rediscover church. Church in the fullest sense of that word. And when I say church, I'm not talking about this building, beautiful as it is, nor am I talking about the Lutheran church, as fine an institution as it is. I'm talking about us, the body of the risen Christ, people who gather in person as a community, people who get down on our knees together in prayer to share our truest selves with God, people who sing songs of praise and thanksgiving to our God, people who humbly confess our many foibles and failures, confident in God's forgiveness, people who break Christ's bread together, knowing that in this sacred meal we are mysteriously taken up into his very life, people who greet one another warmly with a sign of the peace and whose bonds of friendship then allow us to bear one another's burdens, appreciate our differences, and celebrate one another's joys, knowing, knowing that our common identity in Christ is the truest reality there is. The real reason people come to church, I believe, is because all of us, deep in our hearts, want to feel known, loved, and cared for. And not just by each other, as important as that is, but by something even deeper and more enduring. Science, Albert Einstein once said, can tell us a lot about the universe, how old it is, how vast it is, what laws of physics govern it. But science, Einstein went on to say, is powerless to answer the most important question of all. Namely, is the universe a caring place, friendly to human hopes and aspirations? Or, on the other hand, are we all alone in a meaningless universe, spinning out of control in a chaotic death spiral? 
The two poles of human experience are love and death. And the question that has haunted humanity from the beginning of time is this, which one wins out in the end, love or death? The Christian answer to that question is Easter. Easter is God's insistence that love triumphs over death. Easter is God's fulfillment of the promise made long ago in that timeless poem by King David that we just heard, that God will indeed walk us through the valley of the shadow of death, toward a home where goodness and mercy endures forever. The 23rd Psalm. Perhaps the single most beloved text from our scriptures, it is the one psalm everyone knows. It is the psalm Jesus himself claims as his own when he says, as he does in the 10th chapter of John's gospel, that I am the good shepherd. And it is the psalm that once and for all breaks through the death grip of human loneliness and assures us of God's presence at our side through thick and thin. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is it about this psalm that so captures our hearts and minds? It is simple, drawn from the ordinary life of a shepherd in a valley. It is honest, staring death in the face and acknowledging the lurking presence of evil. Yet, it is unfailingly hopeful, insisting upon a feast in the midst of danger, trusting that goodness and mercy will ultimately and always prevail. Yet perhaps more than all of this, the psalm rests in the sure conviction of a shepherd's love that fiercely protects and embraces us no matter what. The intense complexity of such a love is hard to imagine. I once heard Will Willimon, the former dean of Duke University Chapel, tell a story that tries to speak to the reality of such love. It arose out of a conversation Willimon once had over coffee with a parishioner, a mom with a troubled son. How have you been? Willimon asked the mom. Not so good, she says. Our son's been putting us through hell. I'm so sorry, says Willimon. We haven't known where he has been for the last six months, and then he shows up the other night, unannounced, during dinner, just pounding on the front door, asking to be let in. 
We open the door, and there he is. And then out of his mouth come this string of profanity. I say to him, we're eating. Come on in, sit down, and join us. But he refuses to sit down at the table, instead storming into his room, slamming the door and locking it shut. My husband sits there a minute, then gets up, pours himself a drink, turns on the TV. His way of coping. Not entirely sure what to do, I get up and I go out to the garage. There I pick up this big hammer from my husband's toolbox. I go back in the house, upstairs to my son's room, and stand in front of the door, and I say, open the door. And then again, a burst of profanity pours out of my son's mouth on the other side of the locked door. So I take that hammer, and I lean back, and with all the strength I can muster, I slam the hammer against the doorknob. I knock the whole knob clean off the door, the lock and everything. And then I barge through the door to confront my son. He looks terrified. And I go over to him, and I throw my arms around him in a bear hug, squeeze him as hard as I possibly can, and I say, I went into labor because of you. The hell if I'm giving up on you now. This mother's fierce love gives us but a glimpse into the relentless love of our Good Shepherd. A love that breaks through every last door we foolishly try to put in its way. A love that walks alongside us through the darkest hours of our despair. A love that chases down every lost sheep, determined to rescue each one of us from the depths of our wayward loneliness. Always, always bringing us back into the welcoming arms of an eternal embrace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.